Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Chris and Eric's Long Box Adventure. I'm Chris. And I am Eric. A real quick disclaimer. I had dental work earlier this morning, and my mouth isn't fully denumbed. It's better than earlier. Hopefully it's mostly fine. If I sound slightly weird, it's because I can only feel part of my face part of the way. But with that out of the way, I will introduce our topic this week. We are going to be discussing the first two issues of the Rawhide Kid miniseries from 2003. Um, it is collectively entitled Slap Lever. It was written by Ron Zimmerman. John Severin is the artist. We have colorist Steve Bucolato and Richard and Wes at Comic Craft on Letters. And this was released under the Max imprint at Marvel at the time. It was like a, basically like DC Black Label now, like a this is more adult sort of thing. We'll talk a little bit more about the label in a minute. But I guess starting off, what was your knowledge and history and relationship with the Rawhide Kid going in? I was aware of the name as one of Marvel's Western characters, and I think I was aware that he was gay, but, like, barely. I don't, I don't do Westerns, so I'm not a Western head. I, I like that these characters exist in these universes because it's fun whenever you do a flashback story to be like, and Jonah Hex was there, or whatever. I don't know any of the others. Exactly. <laughs> you, you get you get that one episode of Batman the Animated Series of Jonah Hex. That's it. That's it. Yeah. My favorite Rawhide moment with you was when you saw me for the first time since getting a tattoo, and I had my arm covered up, and I was like, guess what comic character I got a tattoo of? And you started throwing names out there. You're like, Magneto? Shatterstar? And then I uncovered my arm for you to see the cowboy. <laughs> I was just like, okay, alright, that one. I, I recognize the look, so I guess I must have seen him in something, but goodness knows what. I don't know how many things I've read have had the American Frontier flashback, but it's like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, listeners... If you are in the approximately 99 to 100% of our listener base who has never read these comics and probably doesn't know who the Rawhide Kid is, other than if you're a listener who very likely knows us in person and therefore knows him as the man on my arm, uh, Rawhide Kid is a Western comic character, as we've said. He came about in the period back when the American comic industry at least in terms of like the big companies of Marvel and DC, were still a bit more diversified in like the genre of books they were coming out, and that it wasn't like as entirely superheroes. You had like more romance, more horror, more westerns, which you know a lot of those things, you know, do exist in the industry to a degree today. But just in terms of like market share percentage, all that, you know, it was a different landscape and. 
there were just a bunch of Western titles of characters like the Two-Gun Kid and Rawhide Kid, and essentially... Lots of kids. Yeah, lots of kids who aren't children. Lots of young men with guns. And, yeah, Rawhide Kid had a short time... He actually predates Marvel in that he was first published when Marvel was still called Atlas. So he predates the Fantastic Four and X-Men and all of them. Not by a lot, but he does. Like Patsy Walker. I think Patsy Walker is the same thing because she was a romance comics character. Exactly. Yeah, it's exactly that sort of thing. And he had a relatively brief period of time, went on hiatus... Then, once Marvel was Marvel, got brought back. We had uh, Stanley and Jack Kirby sort of doing a little update on him. Gave him what is now the iconic design that, like, when you look up Rawhide Kid, it's the costume you're gonna see. Made him, like, the character that is now recognizable. And he ran for a pretty long time, like might literally be the longest-running Marvel Western hero, or is at least certainly up there, because his title ran well into the 70s before the, like, just general American interest in Western started to go down a bit, and eventually all those titles sort of went away. He had a four-issue miniseries in the 1980s, then nothing again, until, as we said, 2003, when we get this five-issue miniseries, Slap Lever, where he is reinvented as the most limp-wristed gunman in all of the Wild West. And I love it. He's definitely very camp. This is probably the most camp thing we've discussed, isn't it? It's by far the most camp thing we've discussed, although... I will say his level of camp does not necessarily denote his sexual preference, but I, I think that it's clearly intended to. Yeah. Before we dive into the book itself, I do want to just note one more thing of historical interest. Uh, the artist on this, Severin, when I mentioned the period where it was like literally pre-Marvel Atlas, uh, John Severin is actually one of the artists who drew Rawhide Kid in that period. So this is a creator from the character's earliest days. He wasn't one of the co-creators, like, he wasn't, like, the very first. But this is a creator who was there at the very, almost the very beginning, who has come back. And basically is sort of present in two very different eras of the character's history, which I think is a fun note, historically. He's there at the beginning, and then also at this dramatic re-envisioning. Holy shit, that's actually kind of epic. <laughs> yeah, it's really fucking cool, honestly. How often do you get someone who was working on a character in, like, the 50s and the early 2000s, 50 years later? Yeah, it's... it's very cool. Fucking hell. Yeah. Well, I guess Jerry Conway in Spider-Man has, I think, that level of reach at this point, but ignoring that... But also, like, specifically doing it in a Max series, like, can you imagine any other character having their like, Max or Black Label thing of, I don't know. See, this this isn't a Max series, though, which I know we're going to get to, but this is, this is just not a Max series. It's not, and let's just go ahead and dive into it. Um, we'll start with the cover to Rawhide Kid number one, 
which before we even talk the cover's good it's a good cover yeah it's a lot but like that's what they're going for and it's well executed yeah which like before i even like discuss the actual art i will note that we have the max comics logo in the corner for as we said marvel's more adult-oriented line. So, for context, Marvel Max is, if you've seen the Jessica Jones TV show, you know, the the one about the lady who gets hypnotized by the Purple Man and, like, you know, sexually assaulted by him, and the series is about her dealing with that, um, that was Marvel Max. Or, um, the Punisher Max book, which is a very explicit, bloody, and violent book, about Punisher killing people in horrible, horrible ways because he's the Punisher. These were the kinds of books that were being published under the Max line. Yeah, basically, like, sexuality and violence being allowed to be taken to different extremes than they would in, say, Ultimate Spider-Man. Yeah. And, yeah, this is a Max book, and more notable than the Max logo is the even bigger text that looks like something you would see on a CD at Target that says parental advisory, explicit content in this giant black bar with really bold white and red fonts that would make you think, oh, they really want you to know this is not for the children. There must be some fucking in this. I saw this cover and I was like, okay, Rawhide kid got his little kid out at some point in this book. Gotta be that. He's, he's, yeah. <laughs> Walks into the saloon, hits on some dudes, takes them home. Some, like, something. There must be something. I'm like, I know it's the early 2000s, but, like, there's got, like, clearly there's something in this book, aside from, like, one of the characters is gay. Northstar was in X-Men being gay at this point. Yeah, Northstar had been out for, I think, the larger half of a decade by this point. Yeah, and, like, this is around the same time as the Chuck Austin run, where he is actively a gay character who is allowed to say it in his comic, in, like, a regular... I So, so um, yeah, no, there's none of that in this. Yeah, this series is, shall we say, controversial, has received a lot of negative feedback with regards to people thinking that it's, like, bad representation, harmful stereotypes of gay men offensive in that sort of area. I'm here to say all that is wrong and this shit slaps. But the one thing I will acknowledge is actually homophobic about this book is the Max line printing. Because there is nothing in this that could not have ran in a standard Marvel comic at the time. They don't even swear. Yeah, like, the sexual innuendo is no ex- more extreme than anything else. Even the, like, blood and violence of the Western shootouts aren't notable. There's no blood. Yeah, like, it's not just not notable, it's maybe even, if it was notable, it would be slightly notably tame. And, yeah, this is not a Max series. This is only labeled as such because of homosexual content. So the way in which Marvel chose to market and publish this is homophobic period. The comic itself, however, is great. As I said last episode, I'm officially staying out of this. You can get us cancelled all on your own, thank you. (laughs) 
I'm here to say that if you're offended by this, you're fucking dumb. Okay. <laughs> now with that, nice and level-headed. I've only read the first two issues, and mostly what I've seen is it's very, 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 very camp, and that is stereotypical, but I don't know if that's, like, necessarily worth hating it. Yeah. That's my, that's my take. I'm like, this is just really, really camp. Yeah, and, like, I'm being, like, purposefully dramatic in how I phrase it. I think, regardless of how one feels, I think the series is really historically interesting, and I think it's worthy of more discussion than just, these are stereotypes, and therefore stereotypes are bad. I think there's a lot more of note here to talk about. And going back to the cover to number one, because we still have not yet discussed the contents, the cover image, besides the part of it that is covered by a No Children Allowed sign, is that we have Rawhide Kid as the center figure. There's some more people in cowboy hats in the background, all sort of looking at them with various degrees of looking either unsettled or curious and just kind of giving them various faces against a sort of tannish yellow background. And he is brandishing two guns. One of them, one of them he's holding up towards his head, like it's the sort of like pursed lips, smoke still coming out of the gun thing. And the other one he's holding down, positioned downward, right down where his dick goes. So gives you quite the immediate impression of oh, yeah, this would make sense to be a Max comic. We're we're already getting the not-so-subtle hints of cock. <laughs> like, this yeah. cover is fun, right? Yeah, um, I will say it is nothing compared to the cover of number two, which is genuinely astonishing. The cover of number two is a close-up on where Rawhide's dick would be, but he's put his gun belt in front of it so it is hanging down like it's his dick. Yeah, fully just like the full gun and holster, completely between the legs. We also have, like, slightly above, we have, like, the hands, the gloved hands. So it's, like, even slightly more erotic in that way of, like, the image of not just the cock, but, like, the man who's not quite fondling himself, but the hands are placed very near there. If it weren't for that one cover of Wolverine looking at Naked Nightcrawler, I'd say this is one of the most just, like, okay, I guess this is the cover. Like, like hinting at nudity covers I'd seen Marvel ever do. It's an all-timer, for sure. It's so good. And, like, just in case it's not, like, clear, like, this is hyper-zoomed in. Like, you do not see anything above the gun belt. You don't even go down to his kneecaps. It's it, like 85% of the cover is the holster. Yeah. Hanging between his legs. Limply. <laughs> With the parental advisory in the corner. <laughs> the parental advisory corner. Again, when I looked at these, I'm like, okay, so there is clearly going to be some fucking in this. Why, why on earth wouldn't there be? Yeah, like these covers look like a Max series and give a certain impression the impression is that it's going to be a lot more juvenile than most Max series, I think, were at least attempting to be. But, um, I, I don't know. I, 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 the only ones I can think of right now are Alias, which is the Jessica Jones one, and the Punisher Max. I know there was a bunch, because it was like a big hit at the time. 
There was a Luke Cage series, which I haven't read. Early I don't 2000s think... Luke Cage sounds like it could have been pretty rough. Yeah, like, I think it wasn't held well critically, but I don't know for sure. Real quick, I'll also just go ahead and note, uh, there's a different cover artist for each issue's cover, so it's not John Severin, so I just want to make sure to credit. We have Dave Johnson as the artist for issue number one, and then, uh... Do you know how to pronounce this artist's name? It's uh, Care Andrews. Okay, uh, Care Andrews does the cover for number two. Apologies if we got the two A's wrong. The two A's, that's why we were confused. Yeah. Both of these covers are fun, and... They belong on a different book, but they are good covers for that book. Yeah. But even still, I love them. Like... Number two especially is so iconic, but... Number two presumably was on the trade collection. I think the trade was still the one to number one. I think they were like, this is going to be shelved at Books a Million. We probably shouldn't put the cover for number two as the cover It's cover. okay, they can put the thing in parental advisory. Explicit content! But yeah, we're almost 19 minutes into recording on the raw audio, <laughs> and so far... We have covered a historical lesson on who Rawhide Kid is, and then we've talked about his cock some. So shall we go ahead and open up the book? Yes, yes, let's let's read Slap Lever. God. I love it. Again, that title belongs on a different book. It's so good. One thing we've always wanted to do on this show, and thought would be fun, is to talk about the ads in comics as we discuss them. When we keep running out of time, we're reading things from the trade or digitally. Exactly. But thankfully, I do have the issues to this, because of course I do. And I'm going to make sure to talk about the ads as we go through, because these comics are an experience, and I don't want you as the listener to miss out. We open up. The ad on the back of the front cover is a Juicy Fruit ad. A nice classic late 90s, early 2000s comic ad, just some gum. And then we go immediately into Slap Lover, which, back in the old days, it used to be almost a given that on the splash pages for comics, there would be a sort of little intro paragraph that would, like, describe the origin and setup of a character. And occasionally you'll get a little bit of that in a recap issue now, but it's not, like, as ubiquitous as it used to be. You get the recap page instead. Yeah, which is just too much and doesn't have as much style. But this opens with one of those sort of descriptor lines, and it's going to repeat this in every issue of the series, and I'll go ahead and just read this. A true legend isn't made, it's born. His name was Johnny Bart, but most everybody called him the Rawhide Kid. Where he was from and where he was going remain like most legends, cloaked in mystery. But one thing is for sure. If you saw the kid riding into your town, things would never be the same. This is one such tale. I like this on a lot of levels. One being, I prefer the sort of intro over the more contemporary, just giant recap page of text. I like the sort of just summing something up in a couple lines and just letting the reader go from there. And I think it works really well here too, specifically as 
an intro to the Rawhide Kid is sort of like a folkloric hero, where because he's a gunman that just rides around from place to place, he has a reputation, but it like carries like a rumor on the wind. Like, have you ever heard of the Rawhide Kid? You know, like, I've heard about him, but I've never seen him. He's like this legend of the West. Like, I like how it sort of establishes that sort of reputation right off the bat. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I, and I think that it's, like, very westerny to have just sort of this little intro. It's very, um, the most cowboy media I have ever consumed is a couple Sergei Leon movies and Stephen King's Dark Tower series, which isn't really about cowboys. So I'm, I'm not into westerns especially, but this, like, definitely gets that immediate vibe. And we have, um, some, I, I would say... Uh, 50 years after drawing this character back in the day, Severin, the art's good. It's very, um, it's got, like, a slightly, scratchy's not the right term, but there's a lot of, like, little lines used to form, like, the shapes of things. And it's very, um, I'm trying to think of a word that I want to use, and I can't think of it. It's a sort of comic that makes you really actively think about just like how drawn it is with the style of just so many little lines yeah you know and like such classic techniques and aesthetics of just like where characters faces and features are defined you know there will be like a lot of cross hatching and things like that to really like sell like the depth of the cheekbones and stuff like that and one theme we've had on this show which is to say we talked about it I think at least twice is that animals are hard to draw and horses are hard to draw naturally it's important for a western artist to be able to draw a good horse and let's just note that John Severin draws a really nice horse on this opening page and it's a good example of like what you said of just all the little lines and maybe scratchy is not the word but just like this sort of classic line-heavy style. Yeah, Scratchy makes me think of um, Sienkiewicz, and this is very much not that. They're very controlled lines, but there's a lot of them used to create the forms. Yeah, and, like, a lot of them are, like, very short lines, and they sort of, like, pack in various degrees together, establishing the texture of, like... The amount of depth and detail that gives me, like, the amount of a sense I have of this horse's legs is unreal. Like, it's just really good, you know? It's just really classical, western feeling. Even as Rawhide is, like, walking in towards the viewer on this opening page of the, like, scroll that I read the text of, we have, like, this big-eared rabbit looking at him from these bushes... It's just, like, a really excellent job of immediately selling Western aesthetic to me. Yeah, yeah, that, and then the, the two panels are also, like, very widescreen panels, which I think also really helps with, like, the width of the frontier. Like, the composition is also, like, working towards gabbing that, like, immediate aesthetic. I think that's a really good point, yeah. Like, the widescreen choice is really good. Gives you the immediate, like sense of just the rolling frontier this is the opening shot of a john wayne movie exactly and i'll even note like the way in which some of the text is delivered 
it's like the opening bit that I read is on this sort of like scrolly, like paper looking background. Um, the title Rawhide Kid Slap Lever with the creative team listed underneath of it has like nails in the corners. Like it's just like a paper sign that's been put up somewhere. Wanted Rawhide Kid. Exactly. And the next panel tells us it was the fall when it all started. And we turn the page and we get our narrator, our sort of point of view character, isn't going to be Rawhide himself, but it's going to be a young man, not a young man, this is a boy, a child. A young child named Toby Morgan. He is the son of the sheriff of this town. The town is named Wells Junction, and I will quote with regards to him and his father. We moved here from Plum Springs two years ago after Ma died of the consumption. The consumption. Girl. Western, Western, Western. The consumption. And... His pa's the sheriff. Yeah, like, literally calls him pa. Um, with a W. Yeah, P-A-W. Not just P-A, like Clark would say. And Not Ma and Pa Kent. This is Pa. Pa. So proud of my dad, the sheriff of town. And essentially immediately sells us the deal with our two main characters other than Rawhide. The boy and his father, the sheriff and the child. And essentially we're getting treated to an introduction to the town because we sort of have to see what this place is like and what sort of world Rawhide Kid is then going to disrupt. And this family isn't from the town, but they've been here a while and they're very well respected. It's like helping keep it safe with the sheriff and then Toby's just sort of a normal kid. And we get this shot of the children playing in the street before a bunch of men start running in on horses and the sheriff who i'll go ahead and just note that the sheriff's name is matt so when we say matt you know that's the sheriff that's the adult and matt yells for the children to get out of the street because he sees all of these men running in on horses wildly and they then get off their horses all go as a giant group into the saloon uh toby asks who are they pa and matt goes I don't know, son, but I best find out. Uh, well, like, the, um, his deputy shows up, uh, George, goes, What in tarnation is going on, Sheriff? Yes, I'm gonna do the accent. You're welcome, Americans. I assure you, you'll do a better job of it than I would. <laughs> See, I'm constantly asked to do an American accent for some stupid reason, I don't know why, so this episode is the gift to all of you who have asked me to do an American accent. Well, here it is. Oh, God. Listeners, off mic, we briefly discussed, Chris specifically told me he would do the Western accents, but that he did not want to specifically do the Rawhide Kids accents, because Western voices are fine, but not the hate crime. <laughs> I'm not going to do a gay voice, no. And he absolutely is written as though he has one, so... Oh yeah, we'll get there. But on the topic of what in tarnation, 
I guess just what do you think of like the dialogue and the specific like inflection and voice that's given throughout because I dig it it's it's like such full commitment to this aesthetic and this genre of entertainment as someone who again doesn't really like westerns I like that they are just like this is a western like this is this is very much like visually it, it's not the Sergio Leon westerns it's the John Wayne westerns so it's it's not this like spaghetti western where they film it in Italy and do it where it's like it's not quite that look but it's definitely got the look and feel of like most other sort of classic Hollywood westerns um I mean this none of this has anything to do with reality <laughs> but in like a good way I think yeah and before the sheriff actually confronts the new men in town we have some more ads to talk about it's just a weird woman it is, and we need to, like, describe the setup of this ad. She's got gills? Now, if you're a logical person, you might think that if you're going to have a two-page ad, you would have it as a double-page spread. So the ad would be there completely to look at all at once. That's not what this ad does. Oh, but see, then the people can just turn the page and ignore the ad. But this ad has to stare directly into your soul. This is one of my absolute favorite, not just early 2000 Marvel ads, but comic ads of all time, because this woman is staring us down. Basically what's happening is we have a comic page on the left and the ad on the right, and then you'll turn the page and get the same thing, where it's like page two of this ad comes on the next spread. And the first half is just this white woman with braids with piercing blue eyes, piercing blue background, like whitish blue shirt, staring you down with gills. And like blue makeup on her lips. So it's like clearly she's like a fish-ish lady, kind of. Yeah, but still like mostly human. And then you turn the page. And part two, she is full on a PlayStation 2 graphic fish woman. The transformation is complete. And this is when we get the text in the screenshots to inform us that the horrifying Gill woman, who frankly looked more like an anti-smoking ad in intensity than anything else, <laughs> is in need, fact... You don't want to need gills, don't smoke. Exactly, exactly. But it is not that. It is an ad for Primal, a PlayStation 2 game that I have never heard of outside of the context of Marvel Comics. So I'm guessing probably wasn't that great. Civilization is only skin deep. I miss back when there were more video game ads in comics. Because, like, the ads were generally bad and the games looked bad. But this is fun. Where else am I gonna get this braided up white woman with gills staring me down? Turning into, like, like the, the braids are still there, but now they're, like, fins? Yeah, I think Bone it's... Bone spikes? I don't know. Yeah, like, it's meant to be some sort of thin or scaly something, like, some sort of not quite clear what it is, but it's meant to be fishy, and... I don't... I don't know why... Why... Why is the... 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 The, the lady... Like, just this would have been... I... But you can't tell me that first half of this ad is not arresting as hell. Because I read this comic, and let me tell you, I actually look at this ad. She does not allow me to skip by. She says, you are going to look me in the eye. 
Let's just, just turn the page. Let's just turn the page. Can we make her the cover art for this episode? <laughs> <laughs> Not even Rod himself. No, I, I mean, I was I was gonna do the the gun holster dick, but okay, we could we could do we could do weird Gill woman lady. I'm so obsessed with her. It's it's up to you. Whatever you want. I, I'm definitely gonna put a, a warning: explicit content stack. <laughs> no matter what it is, it's explicit. Oh yeah, but yeah, listeners, you cannot even imagine without seeing it the degree to which this woman is serving you. But anyway, <laughs> inside she the bar, she looks like an extra from like a bad underwater set Matrix spinoff. Exactly, yeah. But like a bad one. (laughs) Yeah, a very bad one. But, yeah, the sheriff comes into the bar, sees it's rowdy, full of people, uh, asks the bartender for a drink, and essentially starts talking to the leader of this new gang that has rode into town, and they do the introductions. Uh, I'm Sheriff Matt Morgan, and the new man is... Cisco Pike, and their exchange goes, you're a famous man, Mr. Pike, to which he goes, and you're not, Sheriff Morgan. He's already reading this bitch. (laughs) Like, essentially the deal is just, he's an outlaw, him and his men do whatever the fuck they want to do, literally rides into town, doesn't give a fuck, they don't break to stop for playing children, like, the kids manage to get out of way in time, but they don't give a fuck. These are just outlaws who are going to do whatever the fuck they want. And they just sort of talk a little bit about, like, people that they've roughed up before and that they'll have to go back and finish the job later. And basically, the sheriff still feels pretty calm. You know, he's there to be the hero. He's this town's hero because he's driven out bandits before. And good old Sheriff Morgan is the pride of Wells Junction. And so he says, We keep it nice and quiet around here, Mr. Pike. And the way we do that is by not letting anyone but the law wear guns in town. The Earp boys do it over in Dodge, too. And it's made a big difference. So I'll be asking you to have your men here turn over all their weapons to me for as long as you're in Wells Junction. And Pike goes, Well, you can ask, but that don't mean you're gonna receive. It's the law, Mr. Pike. I'm the law wherever I go. And then we get to the first of many shots we're gonna get throughout, where Toby and his friends will be watching from the sideline as the adults do their, you know, dangerous confrontations. Here they're specifically outside looking through the window, I think this part is really fun every time it happens, just like the kids watching the adults, because they want to know, but also it's dangerous and they can't get too close. And so we get Toby going, my paw can lick that guy. I don't know, Toby. You'll see. As we've already established, despite what the cover might make you think, lick that guy in this sense is referring to violence. (laughs) And so... It's about to go down. So I'm now imagining the alternate version of this comic where, like, the outlaw going into the bar and the sheriff following him in is just, like, the setup for, like, a porn scene. It's the setup for them following each other into the bathroom, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's just like, yeah, slap lever. Slap lever. <laughs> slap and lever. Slap and lever all over the place. And uh, the deputy comes up. George. Yeah, George comes up, says, or I guess you want to do it. Look like you could use some help here, Sheriff. And then Cisco Pike goes. Well, I hope he's got more in you. Ha 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 ha. It's H A W. Ha. Yeah. Ha, like pa. Ha and pa. He's ha fucking... and pa, Ken. <laughs> uh, if, 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 this is Claremont, like, writing a western. Yeah. And Pike tells his men to, I quote, set a spell, boys. I'll let you know if they got anything I can't handle alone. And so basically, yeah, they get ready to throw down. Uh, Morgan says, walk away, George. I'll handle him. I ain't leaving ya. But you sure as hell are leaving. Draw, you hear me? Draw. Let's draw with four W's. This guy is like really worked up. Matt goes, stay out of it, George. Pike, I warned ya. We get another glimpse of the kids staring, faces pressed against the glass. And basically the characters are all reaching for their pistols at their hips. It's gonna be the shoot-off. Who can unholster their gun the fastest? And the answer is Pike. We get the pow of him shooting the gun out of Matt's hand, and then shooting Matt himself, and then we get him shooting George. Which, the shot of George, the actual image is, like, focused in on Pike and his gun, where there's a gigantic pow sound effect, and... All the guns say pow. Yeah, all the guns say pow. Again, just exactly what you would expect of the classic onomatopoeia sound effects. And, like, it doesn't show the blood, but he kills George. There is no blood. Like, literally, there's no blood. We see injured characters. They are not bleeding. Honestly? This is not a Max comic. I honestly don't know if there's a single dead body in this comic that you couldn't change the captions to just convince you that they're injured or knocked out. Pike's just like, I loaded up my gun with them rubber bullets. Yeah, like, there's one panel where George's body... You can see, like, the, like, black inked, like, bullet impact room in his back, but because he, it's, it like, all be black, stain. exactly, like, there is no red. Like, you can tell from context what it is, but there is no gory depiction at all. Um, oh, speaking of ads, wait, gotta, gotta call this one out. Daredevil the album, 20 new songs. Uh, for the, the Ben Affleck Daredevil movie. This ad is actually a threat. Um, it features Evanescence. That movie has more than one Evanescence song in the soundtrack. Sure does. There are multiple Evanescence songs. Also featuring Fuel, Nickelback, The Calling, Hoobastank, Drowning Pool featuring Rob Zombie, Moby, Chevelle, Saliva, Evanescence and more. And more Evanescence, to be clear. <laughs> evanescence and more Evanescence. <laughs> CD and stores now. I will also note 
this ad is half of a page. Um, it's two horizontal ads. Above it, we have an ad saying, he's wet, he's wild, he's on video and DVD. And then it's some SpongeBob VHSs. In the context of this being a uh, Marvel Max book about a gay character, that was on purpose for the ad. But also, why are they advertising this children's cartoon in a Marvel Max book? Yeah, yeah, that that's that's a question. Like, I guess theoretically, the adult reader could maybe have children, and they would go, "Maybe my daughter would like a SpongeBob DVD." Or VHS. I don't know. This VHS. I specifically do love that this is still VHS era. Those are still around. And also on the question of who is the ad for, who is the ad for Daredevil the album for? Who's going to buy that? That is letting you know that there is a risk that you might see it when you go into a store. It is a general warning for all people. For when you specifically go into FYE at the mall. FYE at the mall still exists. When you go to Tower Records... (laughs) You will have the option and opportunity to buy Daredevil the album. So you know to avoid the soundtrack section for the next year. Yeah. A brief aside, we paused recording for a moment because I had to use the bathroom because this is going to be our longest episode of all time. And while I was there, I went ahead for curiosity's sake. I double-checked when Rawhide Kid originated. And Rawhide Kid was from 1955. So this series is fully 48 years after that. Which just to add to the coolness of fucking... When else do you see something like John Severin coming back so long later and doing this? But, yeah, back to where we were. George just got shot and killed. Uh, Sheriff Matt is alive, although he's not looking very cool to his no longer proud son. Because, like we said, the children have been watching through the window. Toby screaming, Paw! Pa, and like him and the other kids are running towards Matt and George's bodies, which uh, Pike's gang fully like threw them out of the bar to then just resume drinking and enjoying themselves. And the first dialogue from Rawhide Kid comes from a ward balloon coming from off panel. And he says, leave that man alone. What is wrong with you people? And then we get... Uh, questions of people looking and going, ain't that the... Sure looks like it. And then we get the next page is a single image panel of Rawhide Kid has strown into town and is standing near the sheriff and the kids are also there on looking. There's some other townspeople across the street looking and want to do another injured accent attempt for Mr. Matthew here. So so he's on the ground, he's been shot. Don't let my boy see me like this. Get Doc Baker. I... You're gonna have to do the voice for that line. I... The thing is that I don't know how good I am at doing it because I even for comedic purposes I never do this, but... 
I'll try and it'll be bad. <laughs> and it'll be as if I'm impersonating just anything else that I'm not able to do, but... Oh god, okay. Okay. Oh, stop! It's a few bruises and two bullets. You'll live. See, that was bad. That wasn't yeah, good. but that's the vibe of the dialogue, everyone. <laughs> there you go. He's a sissy boy. It's it's the full gay voice. And, yeah. And I love him. And I love it. But... <laughs> <laughs> which one? <laughs> Wait, which what? You said I love him, and then you said I love it. <laughs> I love him, and I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. Um, okay. <laughs> Yeah, this we'll talk about as we go on. It is certainly true that this is a comic dealing in stereotypes. And I guess we'll see just like to what degree when I feel like talking about to what length as we go. But that's not inherently a bad thing. And just factually on the table, this is a rawhide kid whose mannerisms, affectations, the way he talks, the way he dresses, his physical movements, his body language, everything about it reads to most of the characters as being stereotypically gay. And I think all of this works, and I'll talk about it more at length as we go, but just point being, Rawhide Kid shows up in town and is immediately striking to everyone, not just because of like the mythic nature of his reputation, but because this is, you know, old-timey, generic western town, the sort you would see in a movie that's going to uphold, you know, just these masculine outlaw figures, and we have someone that's going to basically come in and be about as subtle as any of the gay characters in South Park. Oh, God. Yeah. That is what this is. Oh. Like... That's the voice right there. It's the, it's the, it's the South Park gay voice. I'm basically picturing, and this name is so horrible and heinous, but he basically, I'm picturing right now, him sounding like the voice acting performance for the character of Mr. Slave. Mr. Garrison's, how much South Park have you watched? Do you know who Mr. Slave Blessedly is? Blessedly little, I have no idea who that is. So Mr. Garrison is the gay teacher who, throughout the course of South Park, goes from being a gay man to a trans woman who's heterosexual to then a lesbian trans woman so that Matt Parker and Trey Stone can use him then her because again changes identity constantly basically it's a character that enables them to make every single possible part of queer joke where that character shuffles through every single letter of the acronym depending what type of episode they want to do and then Mr. Slave is the gay voice, lever daddy, bottom boyfriend to Mr. Garrison, who is constantly, like, doing, like, high-pitched, like, oh, stop. Yep. Welcome to Jay and Miles Explain South Park. Um, fuck South Park. Jesus Christ. I uh, have a feeling I'm giving you lots of knowledge that you're not actually happy to receive. I was, I was fine before thank you oh but yeah after that this next page is composed of three horizontal panels atop one another they're entirely silent and it's basically rawhide looking around at 
uh, Cisco Pike's men. I don't know about you, I really like this, this like literally dialogue list page to just convey like the stare downs and everyone sizing each other up. Yeah, I, I think that this is actually pretty effective visual storytelling. The um the raised eyebrow he gives them is it is camp, but it is also like a well what the hell is going on here kind of eyebrow. Like you could read that multiple ways. It is kind of let down by the anti marijuana ad on the other side of the page, completely ruining the tone. <laughs> Marijuana, period. Harmless, question mark? I suppose I'm skipping to the end. I should start at the top. Um, these are all bits of text interspersed between what I guess are supposed to be joints. Very one of them, bad looking joints. Yeah, one of them looks like a rolled up piece of bacon. I don't know what's happening. Um, one of them looks like a taquito. One of them has, I think, two chicken bones coming out of it. <laughs> Anyway, the text tried to email Uranus, made hat out I, of ground this is, beef. This is a rawhide kid comic. We pronounce it Uranus here. <laughs> Don't you tell me what to do with this gay masterpiece. <laughs> I am the arbiter here. Um, tried to email Uranus. Maybe some of these ads were intentionally chosen. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. yeah, the SpongeBob ads here on purpose. This is here on purpose. This is here on purpose. I mean, SpongeBob's camp too. Also made by a gay man. Gay icons alongside gay icons. Oh, fabulous! I did not know that about SpongeBob. That that makes me like SpongeBob a little bit more. I still find it really annoying, but I'm good pretty for sure I'm not making that up. Okay. I think that's real. <laughs> if not, it should be real. But yeah. Tried to email Uranus. Made hat out of ground beef. Heard my hair grow. Spent night in jail. Marijuana. Harmless. And like each line of text is between each joint as it gets just progressively, progressively scarier with each joint. And yeah, like we said, they look fucked up. And of course at the bottom we have the branding. Facts. The anti-drug freevibe.com See, I would just mention that it smells bad if you don't want people to smoke marijuana. Because it smells bad. I don't like the smell. But you won't really be scared until you think, what if I could hear my hair grow? What if I tried to make a hat out of ground beef? That's, what if I tried to email your anus? It's less dangerous than smoking and drinking, so like, could we... Okay sounds like you've been listening to lies the drug not facts the anti-drug ah okay 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 I, I, I just think people should chill out and also maybe stop smoking it in my parking garage thank you regardless of classic anti-smoking ads see now this is the sort of ad that that piercing fish woman looked like she belonged in but <laughs> marijuana aside Gills, the anti-drug yeah before we get back to the plots while we're already sort of aside i guess we can go ahead and just take a moment to talk about the rawhide kids design because you know there's going to be a lot of characters reacting like huh to everything he does because he's well dressed yes in this and in 
the sequel miniseries that we'll discuss one day, one of the main euphemisms you're going to see is that he is well-dressed, or that gay men are well-dressed, because the word gay is never going to be used, and homosexual is not going to be used, there's not going to be any more sort of, like, precursors to that, no one's going to be called a Uranian or an invert, it's going to be, like, turns of phrase, like, well-dressed. Does, does he, does he not, like, even get a boyfriend at any point in even, like, the sequel miniseries or anything? He doesn't have, like, a boyfriend on panel, although there's certainly plenty of points where he, like, does a wink and a nod of, like, I fucked that guy, but there's never, like, I'm in a relationship on panel. Or even, like, I'm having a one-night stand on panel or anything, or, like... <sighs> there is nothing that even approaches needing the Max imprint, no. Audible sigh. But I don't even mean that. I mean just literally anything aside from just innuendo. Is there anything aside from innuendo and him winking at people? Essentially, no. Fucking... For God's sake. Again, we were getting more out of fucking North Star in the main X-Men book at this point, written by Chuck fucking Austin. Well, here's the thing. I don't necessarily, like... And I don't think that was good, but I'm just like, I don't understand why this... Why is it such a big... The Max thing just throws me so much. Well, I think it's like... There's, like, the Max imprint thing, and then there's the story itself. And, like, if I divorce it from, like, just a Max logo being on the front... And, you know, and that is offensive. Like, that is just offensive. But I don't actually have any issue with the way that this or the subsequent issues handle his homosexuality. Like, it doesn't bother me that the word gay is never used. And, like, you could partially do a thing of, like, oh, like, whatever terminology would be accurate to the time, maybe they wouldn't be saying gay, they wouldn't be in this place at that time. And, like, that is, like you know, a realistic whatever, like, that is true. But the thing is, even though it's innuendo, I never feel like the book is trying to shy away from a full acknowledgement of his homosexuality. I'll be curious to see if you're, what your thoughts are once you've read the latter half of the series. Yeah, I've only read these two issues, and it's, it's, it is just, like, campiness at this point right now, I would yeah. say. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I think once you've read the latter half, I don't know, maybe it'll help. I think it'll at least give more of a fuller picture. of It'll do some more stuff, I think, with it that you're not necessarily seeing here, uh, regardless of how you end up feeling about it. But, yeah, because there's, like, with innuendo, there's innuendo where a writer isn't allowed to be explicit, a la Chris Claremont letting you know that everyone's a lesbian without being allowed to say... Some of that was pretty fucking explicit. Well, exactly, and that's the thing, too, a right? A lot of it was more explicit than a lot of this is. Sure. But there's that sort of, like, there's different degrees and manners of, like, coding, you know, of, like, coded speech, lavender language, the ways yeah. that characters speak or don't speak to certain things. And for me... I like 
the way that this is written in terms of the wink wink nudge nudge of in context of the whole story I think it's just doing interesting things with like towing the expectations everyone has of Rawhide Kid for his reputation versus the reality when they see the sissy limp-wristed faggot and they have to try and deal with those two things simultaneously existing. Although, yeah, I suppose one consequence of us splitting the series up into two episodes is that we're not giving you, like, a full sense of the whole narrative arc, which I'm not necessarily saying that you'll have to agree with me, you know? Like, obviously, you don't necessarily have to agree. Well, it's, it's like, right now, where, where I am, at the end of the two issues, I don't know what the story is trying to say at all. So to a degree, it feels like it's just sort of supposed to be funny that he's gay. And I'm like, if it's that, then I'm like, okay, but I would hope you would do more than that. Because, like, he's literally an outlaw who's, like, apart from society. Like, there's, there's a lot of, like, thematic stuff you could do with it. And I'm like, are they going to do that, or are they going to just do the camp stuff. It's going to determine how much I enjoy it as a book, I think. Yeah. I think that's all fair. Um, like I said, like I like it. We'll see how you feel by having finished the series. There's, a, there's another point where I'm going to be like, I don't understand what this is doing, but I think that one is just early 2000s weirdness. We're going to get there in an hour. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's still a lot more I'm excited to cover. Um, but... Real quick, after that aside, I'll just go ahead and say, this well-dressed man, I like how he's dressed. I like the classic Rawhide Kid outfit. It's like, essentially this like all blue outfit. It has sort of like weird rows of circles on his chest, sort of. I think that buttons. I think it's like a double-breasted jacket thing, maybe. Yeah, yeah. But just, like, when I look at it visually, it sort of gives me... It's, like, they're way smaller, but it sort of reminds me of 60s 4 with those giant just, like, circles on the chest. But, yeah, like, buttons. Just this sort of... Like, it fits in the genre, but it also has a bit of a flair of drama to it for the flamboyancy. This is all, by the way, this is just, like, classic Rawhide Kid design. It's not, like, updated or gayed up. Like, this is just what he always looked like, pretty much. Yeah, the white gloves and everything. I've seen all the panels of him. This is the exact same design. It's a good design. Yeah. And he has, like, the hanky around his neck, which you could read a different way if we're reading it gaily. And if we, you know, put it in the pants, has a little hanky coat, even in the Old West. But... We don't need to go there. Do you know what hanky coat is? Basically, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway. Yeah, shows up in town. Everyone's just kind of like, huh. Where we left off before the marijuana ad, they were doing the stare off. And let's see. Oh, yeah. Just to directly quote the villagers not villagers the uh the townspeople go oh, they're the um they're the thugs the the guys like he that he says they're the thugs they're the guys who were with pike 
Right, right. Uh, Pikesman. Some of the reactions are, Boy, howdy, he ain't exactly what I was expectin'. No, he sure ain't. Dresses nice, though. So just everything that we've already covered of just well-dressed as a euphemism and also the sort of, like, flamboyant, like, dandy feeling of it. On an accent note, the shore is S-H-O-R-E, like the seashore. Yeah. And meanwhile, while everyone else is surprised that he's gay, because he's supposed to be competent, so why would he be gay? We have Toby by his father again, Paw, and then Matt goes, I'm sorry, son, before passing out. Which I'll go ahead and just note a brief thing with the lettering. The letters go up and down within the lines to like mimic his just like Ah, uh, sorry, son. Yeah, like I really like that detail. And like even like the ward balloon itself is a little shaky. It's like nice content is form. They applied some Toby Link displaced to it. That after is after effects joke, don't worry about it. That is a technical term I do not know. <laughs> but yeah. And then he passes out and we just get Rawhide going, This is a nightmare. A nightmare. I didn't think the situation was that bad, but okay. Yeah. There's gonna be it's gonna be established. He's never gonna come out and say it. But it's gonna be very clear over time that Rawhide is attracted to this man. So, if nothing else, it is a nightmare that this nice, handsome man he just saw get shot and is getting beaten up. But we move forward in time a little bit to the doctor's office. That makes a lot more sense. Oh, are you? had you, like, not really thought about that yet? Yeah, no, I hadn't. It might be more clear in the later issues, because they don't put it on as thick here. I think that develops more over time. But, yeah... We go to the doctor's office, uh, the sheriff is talking to the doctor, talk a little bit about Rawhide Kid, they do the whole, uh, the sheriff is like, he's a gunfighter, gunfighters bring trouble, and the doctor points out the obvious and is just like, well I think that gunfighter saved your life. And Matt then goes, he's trouble, plain and simple, the doctor says, well I can, Kin is K-I-N. Well, I can see somebody's in a glasses half empty mood, so I won't try to talk sense to you right now. Tell you one thing about the Rawhide Kid, though. What's that? Man alive, he's a sharp dresser. I think this doctor's gay. He knows what he's talking about. He is wearing a pink shirt. He is in is this scolded. comic wearing a pink shirt with a bow tie. Yep. Yeah, and he's got a mustache. Yep. Like like a, a, a sort of bushier upturned one instead of like the more heading towards handlebar that you get on some of the other characters. This doctor has slapped some lever in his day. <laughs> um, on on the note about Kin, uh, obviously if it was K-E-N rather than K-I-N, this book would be set in Scotland. But that is not the brand of accent for the week. <laughs> However, we're gonna zip forward a little bit in time. Matt is back at home. There's his son. Uh, Toby is there. And we also have a young woman named, well, 
I guess I don't know how young she is. A woman named Laura is there of them. And essentially, I can't exactly even call her Matt's girlfriend. They clearly have, like, feelings for each other. But a big thing here and throughout is that Matt's not very bright socially. He tends to fail to pick up obvious social cues, whether it's, like, women's attraction or... I think he's the main character in the book that doesn't immediately pick up on, shall we say, just Rawhide Kid's effeminacy, I guess. You know, like, he'll react and be like, that was a strange way of saying something... But he seems almost oblivious to the way in which Rawhide's actions and dialogue is coded. It reads like everyone in Wells Junction knows that Rawhide Kid is gay or assumedly gay, that he quote-unquote acts gay, except for the sheriff and then maybe some of the children. Yeah. Yeah, definitely reads like that. Yeah. He is, literatively and figuratively, the straight man. To the rawhide kids antics see there's double play going here i stand by that this is a smart book but anyway um yeah the woman's name is laura uh she and matt have feelings for each other and she'll like try and help out with him and his son ever since the mom died but matt's too oblivious and there hasn't been like a full unveiling of feelings and getting together Anyway, they're all there. Uh, Matt's injured, but he's going to be okay. He has, like, his arm in a sling. And Matt says, Sit down now, boy. We need to have us a little talk. Son, I know just how you feel. You do? Course. You got pretty scared today, didn't ya? I sure did, S-H-R-E. I sure did. Well, that's all right. I think you'd feel a lot better if then you talked about it. Okay, if you say so. A little talk never hurt nobody. Do you think you have it in it in you to accent this next panel from the kid? Okay, okay. Um, well, see, I was just thinking about the shame and humiliation I was feeling when I watched you let your deputy get his brains blown out. Then seeing you beat like an old rug in front of all my friends... And having to realize my pa is nothing but a yellow-bellied coward. And how I gotta run away from home now so nobody's know I'm your son. That's all. Hey, I do feel better. That's nice for you, son. Although I'd like to point out I may have been wrong about little talks not hurting anybody. The, it's so good. It's so good. He's just like, it's good to talk about our feelings. And the son's like, okay. You humiliate me. <laughs> like. I don't think I'm a coward. Seriously? What but, do you mean by that? And then Laura walks in. Did you boys get the air cleared? And then the boy goes. We sure did. Pa understands why I'm so embarrassed and don't want to be his son no more on account of him being a coward. And Laura just goes. That is not clean air. <laughs> and it gets to them arguing some more. And the dad goes, I've had a bad enough day without a lot of back sass for my own boy. 
Go outside and cut me a switch. You just bought yourself a whoopin'. And then Toby goes, Whoopin' a 12-year-old ain't doing much for your I ain't a coward argument. And then Laura just has to look at him and go, He's got a point. And just, Matt goes, Man alive, this really ain't been my day. It's so fun. This, like, starts, like, one of the main character relationships throughout the series is gonna be, like, Toby and Matt's relationship and, like, questions of, like, competency and masculinity and role models and, like, the tension of, like, the dad's supposed to be the sheriff and protecting everyone, but he got whooped, and meanwhile... Here's Rawhide Kid as a potential replacement world figure, a role model figure, but then just the unique situation of part of what I like about this series is just like, you know, you don't see gay men get held up as like role model figures for like, you know, children. You just don't see it. So it's kind of cool to see it here. Yeah, that's actually a really good point, which this whole next sequence sort of does, where he actually gets along really well with all the kids. Yeah. We, like, cut to... Out on, like... I guess just the plains. Like, some spot out on the grass near town. A rawhide kid, like, has a little fire. Has, like, his horse off to the side. And... Uh, we get these panels where he hears a crack sound... To be clear, he's in his underwear and his boots and nothing else, and he's doing crunches. Yes. He is very homoerotically exercising. It's the boots, is really the thing. It would be one thing if it was just his underwear, but it's the very long boots. Uh, He pulls his gun out and holds it out where he heard the sound, but it's just the... uh, It's Toby and some of the other kids in the bushes... Um, the next page is an ad for just the weirdest looking action figures. We have a Wolverine and military camo. Well, it's it's Marvel Studios Collector's Edition is what it says. So one of them makes sense, which is Blade is very clearly just Wesley Snipes Blade. And it's also the best looking one. The Blade looks pretty cool. And like his cape is even lined. Yeah. Like that action figure's cape has the nice like red on the inside, black on the outside. The Blade looks nice. As a big fan of Blade 2, I may actually want that Wesley Snipes Blade. The Wolverine does not look like Hugh Jackman, who is already playing Wolverine. So why is this Marvel Studios when Wolverine is comics Wolverine? But then he's wearing just like military fatigues? Do you like G.I. Joe? Do you like Wolverine? Do you want to play both at once for some reason? I, I've i literally never seen Wolverine just wearing military fatigues. Yeah. And then there's just an ugly Punisher. Like, a really ugly Punisher with, like, an inaccurate skull logo. It's really weird. Like, the head part... Well, I guess a skull is all head part. But, like, the upper part above the mouth, just, like, the angles are really weird. It's It's definitely the wrong logo. <laughs> Yeah, like, cops would not put this on their trucks to feel badass. It's very weird and misshapen. But, yeah, back in the actual story, uh, Rawhide puts the gun away, gets dressed, and essentially the kids have all come to talk to him because, you know, they live in a western town, they don't see a lot of new people, and especially this, like, legendary folk hero who just strode into town this hyper competent gunman 
And essentially it's this cool scene that pays a lot of homage to other old Marvel Western comics where they just like sort of ask him about various things and about like other Marvel characters. You know, they're just like, have you met so-and-so? Have you met so-and-so? And it's just a bunch of Rawhide Kid giving his thoughts on them. Occasionally there's some gay innuendo thrown in. Relatively subtle for the series and that like he's not saying something for like the kids to understand you know like he's not like talking sexually to them it's just like putting in jokes for like the adult readers and stuff like that the the thing about him getting dressed is it makes it very clear that his outfit is one piece yeah like it is not a top and pants it is one entire piece that he buttons himself into it is a custom garment. He is very well-dressed. It is... It is complicated to the point where I'm confused as to how it works. I assume it's like you step in through the back and you have to zip up the back as well as the front. Oh, I guess there's no zipper on the back. Yeah, it's it's the Wild West. There's no zippers. It's, it's oh, like yeah. the, the, the front circles are buttons because like some of them are unbuttoned at this point. So I guess that makes it wide enough that you can just step all the way into it and then do up the straps and I guess the belt makes, like, the waist tighter? I don't know. It's fashion. It His doesn't have to make sense. Tight. It is very tight underwear. He, as we mentioned before, doing crunches in his underwear and his boots, he belongs in... Not just this comic, which as I've said, I appreciate. I would also love to read an actual Max comic about Rawhide Kid. But, yeah. The kids ask about, um, oh, the, the, the one I like the most is when um, they ask about the Lone Ranger. And he says he doesn't care which one of them is better, he just wants to meet him because he thinks his outfit is fantastic. And he certainly sees why that Indian follows him around. Well, having, like, he's, like, stroking his chin and, like, clearly just thinking very hard about this. Yeah. There's a lot of, like, sense of, like, the other Western characters are evil, are either also gay and he has already fucked them, or they're scoundrels and he doesn't like them, or they're gay, or he hopes they are gay, and he also thinks they are well-dressed. Yeah, yeah, the, the, the Lone Ranger is the one he most wants to meet. That feels appropriate. Um, and then the comic just sort of ends. He asks if the kids are just interested in celebrities, and they all say, yep. Um, and he says, me too, let's talk Buffalo Bill, and that's just the end of the issue. It's like, it's a very quiet way to end the issue, but I kind of like it. It's like, we trail off on just the sense that he's going to entertain the boys, he's going to, you know understand that these are children they just want to hear you know dramatic tales about western gunfights and such and hear about the other celebrities they've heard of and you know everybody wants to gossip the kids want to hear about the cool stuff i appreciate the honesty of just like do you only care about celebrities and they're like yeah and he goes me too and it's just like kind of a sweet little quiet ending as they're all gonna talk shit around the fire yeah the um he gets on really well with the kids 
Yeah, which again, back to just the sort of like potential role model aspect of it's not just his competency, which places him like, you know, in an oppositional direction to the sheriff, but also just like his ability to be like a kind, understanding person who like knows how to like talk to kids on their level without like making them feel like patronized. Yeah. yeah. And then we get an ad for Lord of the Rings, the Two Towers action figures. Which is mostly funny because if you look at them, some of them are like incredibly good likenesses of the actors, and then some of them are hilariously bad. Some of them were just leftover sculpts they had. Yeah, like like the 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 one for Orlando Bloom is like pretty good. The one for the guy who played Faden, whose name I can't remember right now, was like flawless. But the one for Aragorn, Viggo Mortensen, terrible. <laughs> absolutely disgusting does not look anything like the man whereas the one for his horse looks pretty good yeah that's a nice horse yeah yeah that's that's brago the horse we then get at the very end the story's over but we have a few more ads just to remind you what period this came out we have a wizard magazine voting ballot readers or Listeners, if you don't know what Wizard was, it was a magazine about comic books back in the, like, late 90s. You're pointing at an option for Ultimate Cap Drops the Hulk from Ultimates number 5. Comics Greatest Moment 2002. Yeah, this was the period where the Ultimates was actually really popular. We joke about it, but it was a hit. It was a huge hit. I read Ultimates as a kid. This is how I... Ultimates was how I was introduced to, like, all of the Avengers characters. Yeah. For better or for worse. Yeah. Mostly for worse. I think Ultimate Thor is an interesting approach to the character, but I don't think they did enough with it. Because they spent too much time on, what if we made Hank Pym even worse? Yeah, but... Yeah, Wizard Magazine, if you don't know, was a comic news and gossip magazine, late 90s, early 2000s, largely aimed at and stinking of the worst parts of the fandom you can imagine. If there was a big-name titty artist, you can be sure they had 20 covers doing all of the big-name titty characters. It just was filth. Um, I'm sorry, New Exxon was coming out at this time, but Mark Millar is the one listed for potential for favorite writer for Ultimate X-Men, and then Adam Kubert for Ultimate X-Men is labeled as a potential favorite penciler instead of Frank Whiteley. Yep. The fuck? Yeah. Listeners, it's like a bunch of categories, and each one has like five options, and it... It sure has some glaring omissions. You can pick the Ultimates, but not New X-Men. Ooh, a favorite breakout talent, Chuck Austin on Uncanny X-Men. <laughs> Period. <laughs> they know what they're talking about. Uh, what about Alex Malley von Daredevil, though? That's like an artist who's actually like good and still doing stuff now. Yeah, like there are plenty of things on this sheet where it's like, well, that's valid. But then some of her parts are like, huh. Oh, Hi-Fi Designs work on coloring new X-Men is listed. See, that? that's good. That's good. 
maybe it's partially a matter of how few issues came out with delays. I don't know. <laughs> maybe that's part of why New X-Men was less on their list. Maybe it was know. entirely an EVS year. I don't know how they laid out exactly. Yeah. If it was all, if it was all EVS, that's fine. Favorite comic or TV movie project? Blade 2, Justice League, Spider-Man, Smallville, X-Men Evolution. That's a good list, actually. <laughs> like, that was a good time. Yeah, the only bad thing on there is Smallville. I had fun with Smallville. I'm not it's, saying it's good. It's about, um, ten seasons too long. And I know it was a ten-season TV show. <laughs> And also, one of the main characters went on to be, like, oh, a sex God. cult priest. The thing is, I was watching it, and I was like, I can almost tolerate the rest of this show being dragged out. Like, what if we took an hour of a Superman movie and made it ten years of television? Because this one character's really fun. And, and she's the one. And then I read a newspaper article, and I was like, well, fuck! Yeah... But anyway, after that... This is the most tangential episode of all time. It's okay, it's related to the ads. This is what happens when we talk about the ads. There was yeah. also one of those Got Milk ads, which, like, you were either around for those or you weren't. Well, the thing, it's not just a Got Milk ad, it's a Got Milk ad of a skateboarder. It is hitting multiple notes at once. And then the back cover is an Orlando Marvel theme park ad. Perfect, perfect, 100%, no oh, notes. Universal Islands of Adventure, that was a good fucking, that's a good fucking theme park. It looks fun, this ad makes me want to go. It's good, it's good, it's all still there. Uh, they had, Disney are really pissed about it, but uh, Universal are not going to get rid of that anytime soon. Yeah. It is the only Universal thing that will not get replaced, so thank goodness for that. I'm glad someone else owns those characters so they have to leave it alone. Yeah. Uh, listeners, we are an hour and a half into the raw recording, Jesus and Christ. we're now going to discuss issue number two. See, now, I was like, let's split the miniseries into two episodes so we have enough time. I'm now wondering if I should have split it into five, but we're here <laughs> now, and we're going with it. We're doing number two this week, and we open up. We already talked about the iconic cockholster cover, so we covered that. Back of the front cover hideous wolverine action figure for for origin as well so it's like he's just not wearing a shirt he's wearing jeans that are like in shitty shape they're like ripped up and a shirt and he's got bone claws and his head neck torso and arms all do not look like they belong on the same person and none of them are coming out of the right part of the body, proportion-wise. It's all just, like, a little bit off in the most horrifying possible way. Also, also he's it, surrounded by wolves. And his head is a weird shape. The wolves are a better sculpt than him, but frankly, they're not that good either. Um, sorry, Sean Nagel. Don't mean to shit on you so hard on the pod. Um, it's better than I could have done, but I'm not doing it professionally, so... Shout out to Sean, I hope you're doing good. <laughs> I know nothing about you, but I hope you're having a good day after I shat all over your work. Um, you know what, in fairness, it is for the Wolverine Origins series, so I would not have put in my best effort for that either. It was a Marvel deadline, I assume those were not great working conditions. But, yeah, the comic itself, back to Rawhide Kids Slap Lover Part 2, 
we get the same intro text last time of a true legend isn't made, it's born, yada yada yada. Is there a reason it's called Slap Leva other than the obvious? Well, the do you know the like non-sexual meaning of it? No. It's basically like literally it's referring to like unholstering guns. It's okay. just like a term okay. for that. Okay, that's fair, that's fair. And like the whole thing of he's the fastest shot in the West or whatever. And he then also, he is very good. And I also think he's probably pretty good at slapping lever, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, we open with, this is a fun scene. This is a, this is such a good comedy book. Uh, we get uh, Mr. Grant, the newspaper man, comes up to say good morning to the sheriff. And, uh... Morgan goes, Can't say I was too rosy about the front page story you wrote today. Made me look like a darn fool. Matt, you know, I call as I see it. I suppose, nice obit for my deputy, though. If you have a side to tell, I'd like to hear it. Uh, that was uh, back to Newspaper Man, and then back to Matt. Well, you seem to have left out that we was outnumbered, outgunned, and taken by surprise, and that I was trying to avoid bloodshed. And it's basically just a bunch of, you know how it is, I'm trying to sell papers, yada, 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 yada. The newspaper man doesn't give a shit about accuracy or full information or making the sheriff look good. He doesn't look like J. Jonah Jameson, but he is chomping his cigar and hoarding it in the same way J. Jonah Jameson does. And I am wondering if that's on purpose. It's definitely at least that archetype of, like, newspaper man doing what he's gonna do. And... I say that because there's another ancillary character who we meet later this issue who is a direct reference to an existing person. Excited for that. Um, but during this conversation, I'll note, uh, the sheriff asked the newspaper man what happened after he got shot up. And it's just established that I'm going to use different language than what they describe, um, but just that they robbed a saloon, um, they raped prostitutes, that's not the word that they use, but they raped some prostitutes in town, and then they left late at night. So the gunmen have left the town for now, although obviously everyone's still going to be on edge because, you know, they're still out there, they're still a danger. And... Right after this, and uh, Matt feeling down about that conversation, we get two more people in town riding by on horses, talking to each other, and they go, Hey Jasper, you seen my cat? No, I ain't, Clem. Maybe we ought to call him. And then, obviously there's no actual cat, but just looking at Sheriff Morgan, and they're yelling, PUSSY! Here, pussy! Puss, puss, puss! Come on out, you cute little puss! And then, brah, ha, 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 ha! One of the horses is spotted like it's a cheetah. I had not noticed that. That's weird. Is it meant to be dirty? I don't know. I don't know. I've not seen horses with that coloration before. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> Sorry for that weird observation. Yeah, yeah, but uh, basically everyone in town thinks he's a coward. 
yeah, like, he went from being hero of the town to just, he's really been socially disgraced. And in the meanwhile, we cut to Rawhide Kid rides up to where uh, Cisco Pike and his men are out on the outskirts of town to come talk to them. And there's a lot of macho whatever. Cisco agrees to talk to him ultimately, sort of has the men stand down a little bit. And we get some of the just like back and forth of just gay acting rawhide kid and characters not fully picking up on it or just being like that's kind of weird and we get you sure don't act like i would expect from your rep and then well if breeding vocabulary and sophistication are a crime please arrest me right now ha huh, you're a funny guy kid and then just like bits like him calling Cisco Pike sweet and oh yeah they sort of they sort of start to challenge him and like doubt his skill uh Cisco Pike is like interested in like hiring him having them join them but one of his men goes how do we really know he's so fast and he sure don't look too tough uh Pike goes now that's a fact I never have really seen you shoot or fight just heard about ya and Rawhide Kid says, I know exactly what you mean. It's so hard to ever know, isn't it? I remember hearing that Bat Masterson was the best dresser you'd ever seen. And then I met him and, ugh, nightmare. His face was totally the wrong shape for a derby. And the cane was just silly. And then we get a Xenosog ad. Yep, yep, oh my god. And then Clerk's action figures uh, ad. In action figures. Yes, in action, because, because they're not posable. They're, they're, just, they're just figurines. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's already a name for those, Kevin Smith. Get your in action figures. From Bioblast and Graffiti Designs. Never heard of any of these. On sale now. That logo is terrible. It almost looks like it should be reading Crepidi. It really looks like a C. It does not look like a G. Maybe it is Crepidi designs. These designs sure look That is crepidi. something Kevin Smith would call his design company. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is not a Kevin Smith podcast. <laughs> uh, it probably will never be a Kevin Smith podcast. I, I, although there are plenty of Kevin Smith comics we could cover. I assure you I will never pick a single damn one. <laughs> He did kill one of Daredevil's girlfriends. That'd, like, be the only one that would ever have a chance of coming through. Anyway. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> back to the loaded conversation. The most camp panel is coming up. Yeah. This is all gonna be back and forth between Cisco and Rawhide. Uh, and Cisco's uh, men. I can do Cisco, you do Rawhide? Sure. If you want to walk out of here in one piece, you're going to have to do more of a name drop, boy. Oh no, is this going to be one of those macho, tough guy test things? Looks that way. Ugh, these are so boring. That's the most camp panel. His face, he looks so over it and so fed up. It's, yeah. 
he just looks like me or Trevor anytime any of our coworkers speak. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> <laughs> We're just wow. sitting there at work. And then a straight peer person comes up and talks to us, and we're like, "Ugh, thanks, thank you." <laughs> You're a Kinsey zero point five. I don't mean you, <laughs> but yeah. Oh, and then we get a little closer to explicit than we have before. Then, where one of the men says, "I'm telling you, Cisco, this guy acts like some kind of damn Daisy boy." I'm rubber, you're glue, Red Duck. It is Red Duck, right? That couldn't have been easy growing up with. You might want to save some of that rage for your parents. Oh well, let's get this over with. I have a piano lesson in town at one. You won't believe how great I am at this stuff. Which first? Shoot or fight? Which, in terms of ways of calling someone a fag without calling a fag, Daisy Boy's a good one, that's fun. You're not allowed to call anyone a daisy boy. Uh, no, oddly enough. <laughs> I am allowed to call people a daisy boy. I'm reclaiming daisy boy. But, yeah, we get the shoot-off and the punch-off. I suppose I should say punch-off, because it doesn't need to be a shoot-off, because he beats their asses pretty much with his bare hands. And again, we're talking about Cisco Pike's whole crew... And we just get this whole page of Rawhide Kid beating the shit out of him, like, multiple at a time. Uh, we also get a Marvel Hero Clicks ad where Bruce Banner turns into the Hulk in tiny plastic form. He, like, it's, like, he gets smaller in the ad. Like, the normal Hulk thing is, like, you've got Bruce Banner, like, little, and Hulk, like, big. But this is the opposite because he's turning into the Hero Clicks. There is a time... Where I thought hero clicks were cool, and I played with them, and they were fun. Largely because it was like, oh, look, comic characters, I know them. But yeah, this is this is an awkwardly framed hero clicks ad. It's just so, like, opposite of what you normally visually expect from a Hulk thing. Yeah, yeah, the framing is weird. And then, on the next spread, we have an ad for... Spidey Sense, Secret Rub Shooters, and Wall Climbing Power sold separately for the ad for Fruit of the Loom Underoos. The, the Spider-Man themed. They have Mark Bagley's Spider-Man on them of Ultimate Spider-Man. I think that's from the panel in, like, the fifth issue where he's, like, leaping into his fight with Green Goblin. Don't quote me on that, but I think so. The amount of money that I can guarantee you that Mark Bagley did not get, but should have gotten, from so much Spider-Man merch over the years. Most of it is actually, like, most Spider-Man merch seems to have been using art that Mark Bagley drew for Ultimate Spider-Man, and I'm like, that's not even 616. It is nice art, though. Uh, oh, oh, that it's mask, great. yeah. I, I will absolutely talk up, um the both Spider-Man of Earth 1610. They're the only good things to come out of that entire universe. Yeah. But yeah, like, we've we've joked about the ads. This is the one where I think not even a joke, just like, why is there an ad for Underoos? I, I guess I suppose it's the same as SpongeBob of kids don't buy their own underwear, the parent buys the underwear, maybe the Max Reader will think, 
Oh yeah, my kids need new underwear, they're growing all the time, kids run out of clothes super fast. They'd probably like Spider-Man, let me go to Kmart and get some underoos. Maybe it was the same ads in every Marvel book each month. Should yeah, like, we find something from the same month to check? I could certainly try at some point. Yeah, because like, I don't think they actually do a lot of like tailoring the ads to the book. Like, I think this is pretty much just this is from the pool of ads that we've been paid to use right now. Like, logically, they should be doing that. But I can't imagine what kind of insane stuff would be on ads for this book if they hadn't, so... I would like to see the deservedly Max Rawhide Kid with the adult ads that would accompany it more appropriately. I would like to see a page in this that's just Wild Wild West poppers. Do you know what poppers are? Yep. Okay. It's... There we go. Don't have to explain that one. We're good. <laughs> <laughs> um, but instead we have underoos. It's weird. Anyway, Rawhide's beat down a lot of the gang. Some more pulling out knives to really get serious because they're ticked off. Rawhide then shows what a good shot he is. Super fast shot. Unholsters his gun in the negative space between panels because he's that fast which I'll say is a fun choice of, like, what images to show and not. He's just so fast, so we don't even see him pull him out. Knocks the guns, or knocks the, um, guns and knives out of everybody's hands. But blam bam bam sound effects. And he's proven himself. He also has shot some of their belts so their pants are falling down. Oh yeah, there is that too. <laughs> just as, as part of the visual comedy there. Yeah, and Rawhide's essentially gonna get up on his horse and go away soon, but Cisco does a final like, are you gonna join us or not? Rawhide says no, finds them filthy and crude, yada yada. Cisco goes, okay, okay, lord, you carry on like a woman. And Rawhide goes, it's a little late for flattery. Huh? What did I do? Ugh, how typical. And I will note this panel as he's getting on the horse like many do, just making sure to show how nice and tightly his leather pants fit him in the back. And then black jeans looked like they were painted on. How about his shirt? Gorgeous. Oh yeah, I forgot we're literally next panel get Pike's men commenting on again how well-dressed he is. Them black jeans look like they were painted on. I like the, the, the gorgeous, that's great. Yeah, the gorgeous is good. Meanwhile, back in town, we get a shot of down at the schoolhouse, we have the children are fighting... Specifically, Toby is fighting another kid. Well, Toby is getting blasted right in the face. Yeah, I suppose it's not so much Toby is fighting so much as Toby is getting beat the fuck up. Toby is losing. Toby is losing. <laughs> Laura, the school teacher slash uh, the sheriff's not-quite-girlfriend, runs over, uh, is asking what happened, what's the meaning of this, and the children all just, like, pipe up with answers that aren't what she wants to hear. Like one goes, I know, I know. The meaning is that some kids get involved in arguments that can only be settled with fisticuffs. Is that right? 
And then Laura goes, it's not a quiz, but yes, that's the right answer. I really just want to know what in the world you're fighting about. And basically the kid tells them that everyone was making fun of Toby's father for being a coward. And then for no good reason, Toby started punching people after that. Laura goes, well, that's terrible. And the other kid goes, we know he don't fight no better than his old man. <laughs> that isn't what I meant. Then I'm last. These kids truly don't understand what could be wrong. Like, they're just like, well, yeah, they're weak. They're cowards. I'm lost. Uh, we then get the weirdest ad out of both books. It looks like it is a newspaper ad about some kind of terrorist attack in London. It's an ad for a video game. I don't fucking know. It's free pages? Because it's like there's the double page spread and then you turn again to the third page. It's like when you look at the first double page spread, it's like you honestly can't tell what the fuck it is. And then, yeah, you turn the page and it's for... I could read the three columns of text, but I don't want to. The writing is so small. It's like, girl, no one's gonna read this shit. Like, this is a comic. We did not come here for reading. Like, this, honest to God, the amount of text, structurally, this looks like a full article in, like, Game Informer. In this ad for The Getaway for PlayStation 2. Live in your world, play in ours. That's the PlayStation 2 thing, not the Getaway thing, though. Yeah, but on the other side of this weird spread, uh, we get just more of Laura still talking to the kids about how inappropriate this behavior is, basically. You boys are all going to stay after school and write on the blackboard 100 times. Name-calling and fighting is wrong. And then just everyone's complaining because they don't think they did anything wrong. Uh, Laura's trying to cheer him up. They just don't understand how truly brave your father really is. And Toby still feels ashamed and he says, I'm having a little trouble of that one myself. And, you know, Laura's into him, into Matt. She goes, Toby, your pa is one of the finest, most decent, honest men I've ever met. He made this town a decent place to live and we should all stand behind him. But the Pike gang pretty near killed him, and we should thank the good lord they didn't. It feels more right to just be embarrassed. Well then, shame on you, Toby Morgan. You go on back into school and take your seat, and think about how much your pa loves you, and about how much you love him. And then, couldn't I just get an extra homework assignment? This kid is such a little shit, and is so horrible to his dad. Like, the guy got shot. Like, he just wasn't quick on the draw. He did actually draw his weapon. We see him draw it. Yeah. But, yeah, continued theme of masculinity and competency and the inverses, yada yada. Talking about masculinity, look who's coming right up. Hell yeah. So, we're gonna move next to the sheriff with his first interaction we've seen on panel with 
I'll just quote. Howdy, Sheriff. Hey, Walker. That's Mayor Bush, if and you please. Listeners, do you have any idea who Mayor Bush might be drawn to resemble? It's literally George W. Bush. Like, President, when this comic came out. It, it, it is... Some of these panels feel photo-referenced. Um, he is in this, and he is in the Ultimates. This is why I have been thinking about Ultimates this entire fucking time. <laughs> because he has been in exactly two comics I have ever read, and it's this fucking thing, and fucking Ultimates. Yup, as we said at the top, this comic is from 2003, and... Listeners, I did not warn Chris about this going in because I was looking forward to him getting to just experience it for himself. I did a quadruple take. Because the thing is, like, with the way the panels are laid out, his face keeps, like, getting bigger each time he shows up. Like, he starts further away with less detail. And, like, the more it progresses, the more you're like, does that look like George W. Bush? Until you get, like, a full frontal face, hyper detail. That is literally just George W. Bush. Yeah, like, that one's photo traced. The others are drawings that look a lot like in that one. Like, there's a photograph that he had next to him, because I've seen that picture of Bush before. Exactly. And it's like, you do that, and then you look back, and you look back at all the others, and it's like, oh yeah, that is what he's trying to do. This is George Bush. This is just... Mayor Bush... Yeah, and there's just, like, discussion, basically just about what a shit job the sheriff is doing, and how he needs to get his shit together, and how everyone's worried, yada yada, and they don't feel safe. Oh, I mean, his dad and his brother bought his votes, which is one of the best jokes in this entire, uh, comic, in my opinion. It really is, because Bush goes, we're coming up on election time, and I need a second term. Again, this is 2003, so Bush hasn't run the second term, hasn't run the second time yet, so even the term amounts is correct. Yeah, who is it, Joe Carey he's running against at this point? Yeah. John yeah, Carey, yeah, John yeah. Carey, John Carey. Yeah. God. People are still a little that. shaky, because I only won by a few votes last time, and we know your daddy and brother bought those. Literally, this fucking dig at the Bush crime family. That's what I'm gonna call them. The crime family. <laughs> the Bush crime family. Juxtaposed, or not juxtaposed, just placed wholly inside of this western period piece. It's so bizarre. So of its time. And so incredibly out of place. But I love it. But the, yeah. Like, this didn't need to be here, but I really appreciate that it manages to add a level of humor and just, like, ridiculousness to a scene that Rawhide isn't in. You know, it's, like, largely driven by Matt, and so it sort of helps to keep the humorous tone going even when Rawhide Kid's not there to juxtapose against him. It's also just an excuse that George... Uh, draw George W. Bush into a comic in the early 2000s, which I think may qualify as a national pastime it seemed to happen so often. It was absolutely a pastime. And frankly, I still love George W. Bush jokes to this day. 
it still hits for me. I don't know about you, but I'm into it. There's been some more, even more ridiculous figures to make fun of since then, but yeah, yeah, no, it's it's always fun. It's always morally correct to make fun of George W. Bush. Yeah. I don't think they ever managed to work in a painting joke in this series, but it's still good stuff. Meanwhile, on the next spread, we have an ad for Mighty Marvel Candies Power Pop Superheroes with... They're not literally Pez, but just some horrific Pez-esque looking renditions of superheroes on these packagings, including some very awkwardly drawn boobs on the Electra dispenser. I was gonna say, my favorite is the Electra one because they're still trying to make her sexy when she is a fucking Pez dispenser. Like, they are trying to make that rectangle really fucking hot for you as they try to cram those boobs onto that stick. It's not really working for me, but I appreciate the effort. <laughs> is this the first heterosexually oriented thing in this series? Is this what, the most... This, yeah. This, this, this Electra this not Pez. Pez. Yeah. This Electra not Pez. Um, is this the most culturally seen you feel in this series yes uh yes uh so basically mayor bush is like you need to you need to hire a new deputy so we get some embarrassingly bad like people who are just trying to be deputy because they they want like a job that would pay them money or give them a place to live yeah which, which fair fair but also i guess entirely unsuitable yeah after just a string of bad interviews, it's nighttime. Laura's there again at the sheriff's house with Matt and Toby, and basically they're not talking a lot. There's a ton of tension in the air. You know, she's trying to help them out, and yeah, it's just a bunch of bickering back and forth. Sorry, Laura, I guess my mind's just off in space or something. Having a hard time finding a new deputy. And then the sun pipes in, Gee, I wonder why. What's that supposed to mean? Nothing. And just a lot more arguing. Um, again, tells him to get the switch. Because again, time to beat the kid. Because he's mouthing off at him. And then we get the same Lord of the Rings ad from last time. <laughs> Interrupting the drama. Laura essentially tries to calm the dad down. You know, it's just like, he's just a boy, carry on. And, you know, she's just trying to diffuse things, trying to do what she thinks is best to try and make everybody feel better, ease the tension for this family that she's not, like, bloodline a part of, but, you know, is very much becoming a part of the family. And um, Toby runs back in, is yelling, you'll never guess who's here. And then we get this moment where the dad goes, if it's Cisco Pike, tell him I moved. And then both while, the son... While climbing towards the window. Yeah, while while getting ready to run away. And then Which, both... like, fair, frankly, but, you know. Yeah, like, fair, but not just Toby, but also Laura. Look at him, ashamed. And then he sits back down and goes just funnin and then rawhide kid this is the campus panel i take it back he spreads the curtains 
I didn't even know there were curtains. The thing is, I see no window behind him. It's just curtains against a wall. He bought them with him and he was putting them up while he was doing the window thing. Yeah, he just spreads the questionably placed curtains and goes, Ta-da! Is this a bad time? (laughs) Matt goes, yes. And then the other two go, no. And yeah, we just have Rawhide Kid is here to check in on... Again, it's not as obvious as it will be later. He's attracted to Matt. There's going to be more to it later when we cover the second half of this in terms of just dynamics of like what he sees in Matt and what this town and this family makes him think about his past. But he's checking in on the sheriff. Uh, the sheriff goes, Yeah, well, I won't lie. That would have killed most men. Luckily, I'm pretty tough. He's like talking himself up a bit, you know. But then Rawhide says, you certainly are. And Toby and the sheriff go, he is? I am? And Rawhide Kid means it generally. He goes, you bet your buckskins. Why, I once got a beating exactly like yours from a very nasty outlaw gang. I was terrified. You were? Please tell us all about it. Don't get me started. It was all I could do to muster up enough strength to hunt them down and kill them all by nightfall. And let me tell you, I was exhausted. So basically, just like relating to the story of the sheriff getting his ass beat by being like, yeah, that happened to me once too. Except, you know, I killed him. So just like not even... them all down by nightfall. Literally by nightfall. Not trying to but inadvertently flexing and bragging about how much more competent he is, even he's trying to be nice. See, I think managing to kill a whole bunch of people after you've already been shot is, like, more than competency, but okay. Yeah, just like, again, mythological figure, his name is on the wind, everyone's heard of the Rawhide Kid, and Toby's just like, See, Pa, that's what you should have (laughs) done. Yeah, just um, introducing Rawhide into the family here. The scene largely really serves to, you know, just strengthen the dynamics we have going between how Rawhide disrupts the town life and the family and is developing relationships with Matt and with Toby. And yeah, they just talk a bit more about the outlaws. And there's a point where Rawhide wants to have conversation just with Matt. So he turns to Laura and goes, oh yeah, this is after he tells Toby to leave and to get uh, Laura to go. He says, sweetie, why don't you run down to the dress shop and see if they have anything in a color that'll flatter instead of insult. (laughs) It is so rude. And... I love, like, the visual effect of, like, icy dripping on, like, the reply word bubble. She goes, fine, I will. And he says, toodles to Matt. Meow, huh? Alone at last. Thought they'd never leave. (laughs) It's just, yeah, okay, no, I see what you're talking about now. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. With, like, him being into Matt. Being him being into Matt, yeah. Yeah, and the conversation goes... What can I do for you, kid? I think I should be asking and answering that, Sheriff. I know you lost your deputy, and I'm here to volunteer to help out till you can find a new one. The minute you do, I'm gone, but it seems like you're a little outnumbered right now, and I hate bullies. Well, 
You are fast and you got the rep. Depends on who you've talked to. And then we just get the panel of Matt going, huh? Because he does not pick up a uh, single hint that Rawhide Kid drops. He's like, I'm not fast. <laughs> yeah, just like, and yeah, Rawhide's trying to keep it, keep the levity up. Uh, Matt's not understanding, you know, and Rawhide just keeps trying to break the tension at one point. He's like, little edgy still, aren't ya? You know, and then like, he literally says, Matt, stoic is nice. Stoic is sexy. But let's not overdo it, because stoic can also be boring. What? Oh god. I wish I could be you when you finally start getting me. <laughs> but yeah, and then basically the job is agreed to, and Rawhide Kid also says, But I should warn you, I'm a bear until coffee, so don't wake me unless it's serious. Ciao. Nice guy, but there's something about him I can't quite put my finger on. There's just something about him that's really different. What could it be about the Rawhide Kid? There's just something about the Rawhide Kid. I can't quite put my finger on it. Yep, but Toby's excited when he hears Rawhide's gonna be the new deputy. Meanwhile, last page is a cut back to the Cisco Pike gang, and he's telling them that he's gonna pay an extra $50 to whoever kills the Rawhide Kid. The next time they go into town, they're going to be, the quote is, robbing the bank, raping and pillaging, then killing everyone over seven. So they are planning to go just massacre this town. And then we have the first little brief bit with uh, Jane, who is the one woman in the gang. And because uh, Pike had gone, there's an extra $50 for the man who kills the Rawhide Kid. Jane goes, what if it's me that gets him? What did I just say, Jen? You said, for the man who kills the Rawhide Kid. I'm a girl. One of the gang member goes, not from what I heard, ha ha ha. Ha ha ha. And then with a, f a fuck, not an F-U-C-K, but a T-H-U-K, with a fuck, she throws her dagger into the man's leg, and he's howling. And then Cisco Pike goes, Okay, 60 if Catastrophe Jane gets some. And that's our to be continued. And then the rest of the ads are for some more ugly Hulk action figures and mugs. Uh, specifically the Ang Lee Hulk movie action figures, including one that is Hulk inside a metal tube. Of, Looking I guess, this. is that how he got, like, turned into the Hulk in that movie? Was it not no, the Hulk? No, no, it's, um, that's, if I remember correctly, like, no, he, he, when he turns into the Hulk in that movie, it's, like, a Photoshop effect. Like, they just applied fine edges. Like, if you know these things, it, it's, it's just like, oh, wow, that's really, really lame and lazy. Ah, Okay. Um, I think this was like a tube they had him imprisoned in to try and like sedate him, but he hulked out anyway. Because that movie's like really weird in that it's incredibly campy and serious in tone, but also goes like really hard into the whole like abusive dad backstory, and it's one of the most like tonally inconsistent things I've ever experienced. I went as a kid to the theater and I was scared and I had to leave. 
so I've never watched the whole thing. Oh, that was me with Batman Begins. Damn. <laughs> uh, with that said, though, we should be wrapping up. Do you have any last thoughts you want to get in on these first two issues of Rawhide Kid? I hope you had fun, at least. I did. Um, this the, the next episode on these for the last three issues is going to be three hours long, so we'll be officially in Cerebro territory. I am very happy that the Rawhide Kid is going to be our longest episode. I doubt it's going to get challenged. Except by more Rawhide Kid. Yes, yes. <laughs> but yeah, very controversial series. We talked about a lot of why, but there's still a lot more to talk about because we're not even quite halfway through. But next week is your pick, not part two of this, so what can they look forward to next week? The first three issues of the 2015 run of FF by uh, Matt Fraction and Mike Allred and Laura Allred. It's it's our first Fantastic Four book, kind of, barely. They're in it for like six pages, but it's real good. Um, so, yeah. Yep, look forward to that, and we will, in the near future, get back to this series, so... Don't worry, we will be slapping some lever as well soon. Until then, thank you for listening, and I'm not going to try to do a bad Western accent on something, just bye. Bye. Press, press,